trouble and maybe some difficulty. It may be bad, but it's getting better. We're getting closer to Jesus every day, aren't we? And I'm so excited about that. I've never been more excited about Jesus coming than I am now and than I am in these days. These last few years have just thrilled me with the exciting possibility of what Jesus is going to do and how he's going to work and how he's soon going to come. Uh, John chapter 20 is where we're at. Uh, before we begin, let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to bless our time in his word, shall we? Now, Father, I thank you for the privilege you've given me to open up the Bible. I realize what a sacred responsibility it is to open up this precious book and preach these words to these dear people. Lord, I realize that without you, I can do nothing. So I ask for your help, Holy Spirit, for your guidance, for your anointing and endowment with power. And I pray for this. I pray for this not only in my heart and life tonight, but in the, those uh, that are hearing the word of God. Help us to have spirit-filled ears and hearts as we listen to the scripture so that we have a courage and a boldness to do what we're, what we're instructed from the word of God. Help us, Lord, to realize these are not man's words. These are God's words. And every single word is pure that is from the Scripture. And Lord, I pray tonight that you'd help us. Lord, if there's anyone here that's not saved, save them. Help them to realize the imminent danger which is upon them and how close they are to an eternal hell. And I pray that tonight they'd run to Jesus and they'd be saved. And Lord, we'll be careful to thank you and praise you for what you do in all of this because we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I'm speaking tonight about a man who was known in the Bible for one thing. His name is Thomas. When you think of Thomas, what do you think of? Doubt. Doubting Thomas. We think that's the guy. He's got some trouble. Doubting Thomas. He's the man that's always got some, some particular uh, word uh, of, of frustration with the Lord Jesus. He's the one that's always uh, giving some kind of a problem with the Lord Jesus. So Thomas is known for his doubting. And you know, the truth is that, that that was found over and over again in the Bible. Your Bibles are open to John. Turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And I want to preach to you tonight on the subject from doubtful to doubtless. From doubtful to doubtless. Because Thomas didn't stay doubting. When we think of other disciples, we think of certain characteristics. When we think of Judas Iscariot, we think of the betrayer. Uh, when we think of John, we think of the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, when we think of Peter, we think of a man with a big mouth. <laughs> or at least he always was willing to open his mouth and express his opinion. Sometimes he was spot on when Jesus said, Whom do men say that I am? They said, Some say thou art uh, Elias. Some say thou art uh, John the Baptist. Some say thou art Jeremiah. So they gave a whole list of things. And he said, Well, whom say ye that I am? And when Peter opened his mouth, he couldn't have been more spot on. He said, Thou art the Christ the son of the living God. But sometimes when he opened his mouth, he was, he was completely not spot on. Uh, he, he said to Jesus, he said, no, you're not supposed to go and die. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. In another place, he said, I'll never betray you. All may forsake you, but I'll never forsake you. And, and in fact, Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows thrice. And, and, and so, so here you find Peter is always known for, for his... His, his bombastic way. Peter showed that when he got out of the boat. I don't want you to get the impression that I'm being too hard on Peter tonight because not anybody here has ever done what Peter's done, and that's walk on water. Now, don't come to me afterwards and tell me how you walk on water out here in South Dakota when it's in the middle of the winter because I know all about that, and I, I don't need any smart Alex in my life tonight, you know? And so I, I just want you to see this from the Bible. Now, You'll see it tonight. In John chapter 11, there are a lot of things that are going on that quite honestly don't make sense to the average reader, to somebody who doesn't understand what's taking place. And even to those of us who are 2,000 years removed, hence, who are trying to follow the Lord Jesus, it doesn't always make sense what Jesus is up to. In John chapter 11, it says, Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And Jesus did love Tom, did love Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. He loved this family and they loved him. 
They were great supporters of his ministry. They loved what he did and they loved him and they loved the, the, and they listened to his word and they were, they, they served him. Verse number four, when Jesus heard that he said that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he went to them. Is that what your Bible says? No, no, no. Look at it again. Verse number six. You always got to make sure that the preacher is preaching the Bible, especially these guys from North Carolina. Verse number six. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Now, that's the first thing in this passage that, quite frankly, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Why didn't Jesus go? Especially when you read what takes place in the rest of the passage. Why didn't Jesus go? He's the one who can heal the sick. I mean, he's proven this up to this point. He's the one who can multiply the five loaves and two small fishes. And he can command, he, he can command them to be multiplied to feed 5,000 at least. He's the one who another chapter later fed 4,000. Jesus is the one who made blind eyes to see and dumb mouths to speak and deaf ears to hear. He's the one that made lame legs to walk. Why didn't Jesus go and just heal Lazarus? It doesn't make sense. Verse number seven, then after that, saith he to his disciples, uh, let us go into Judea again. His disciples saying to him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee and goest thou thither again. So he's north of Judea. If you look at a map of Israel, you'd see Galilee up here and you'd see Judea down here and you'd see Samaria in the middle. And so Jesus is somewhere here. And, and, and he says, let's go down to Judea. They said they want to kill you. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there's no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus, Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Now, Jesus wasn't referring to him taking a nap. Jesus was referring to his death. In other words, from the time they came to him in John chapter 11 and verse number 3 to verse number, uh, to verse number uh, 11, he had died. Just, just a few verses after the fact. And, and, and then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. But they didn't perceive. They didn't understand. Uh, by the way, whenever Jesus refers to somebody who died and is asleep, He's talking about somebody that's saved. There's never a time in the Bible when Jesus refers to somebody who has died without Christ, unsaved, and, and they're just asleep. You know why? They're not at rest. An unsaved man or woman is not asleep and not at rest before they die, and they're certainly not at rest after they die. Don't you believe the lie that some preachers will get you to believe that everybody that dies goes to heaven? Everybody that dies doesn't go to heaven. I wish I could believe that, but that's not Bible. And so I've sworn upon the altar of God to believe the Bible, every word of it, and that every word is pure, and that I can trust every word, and you can trust every word. Not everybody that dies goes to heaven. Some people that die go straight to hell. And the difference between the two is, what did they do with Jesus before they died? You can do one of two things with Jesus. You can believe on him, or you can not believe on him. What have you done with Jesus? Have you believed on him? Has there been a time in your life when you've transferred your trust from yourself or from a religion or ritual or ceremony onto Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? Years ago, some, I was preaching in north of Memphis and a uh, uh, family came to me and said, our, our, our daughter-in-law's, our, our, our daughter's uh, mother-in-law is in the hospital down there in Germantown uh, Hospital there in Memphis. Would you be willing to go see her? I said, yes, I would. He said she had cancer. She has cancer. She just has been taken in for, for, for problems with her cancer. In September, it's now November, and she hasn't been released. And we don't think she has much time. I said, I'll be glad to go. So one night, it was a busy day. I had a lot on my plate. So after it was all done, I went down. It was after visiting hours. I didn't think I'd get in. And I started to witness to this lady. I didn't know how she would receive me if I got it because we didn't know each other and there was nobody there to introduce us. And, and so I told her who I was. I told her how I'd heard about her being in the hospital and that I was a preacher and that I wanted to share with her the most important message anybody could ever hear, that, you, that without Christ, you're lost, you're sinful, you're undone, you're headed to hell and you need to be rescued. And the only person that can rescue is the one with nail prints in his hands and feet, Jesus Christ. 
And so I witnessed to her and gave her the gospel as clearly as I could give it. And, and uh, she was born in Eritrea over in the northeast part of Africa. She had fled when there was a, some kind of a revolution there up into Italy and sort of family from Italy. And she'd come to the States and been here for some time. Her family was And so I gave her the gospel. And honestly, it seemed like she understood it, that she couldn't trust in her good work. She seemed like a good lady, but she couldn't trust in that. She seemed like she had a good family, but she couldn't trust in that. She had to trust in Jesus. And I was at the point for the point where I was going to lead her to the Lord. And, and so I said, well, if you want to be saved, you can be saved right now. So I bowed her. We bowed our heads and she started to pray. And I started to lead her in a prayer. And, and, uh, and I said, as I, as I led her in a prayer, we were with Jesus. I know I'm saved. saint or good person in the Old Testament or good person in the New because you've got to put your faith in Jesus. I said, well, me and God, we, we made all this. Now, what would you think of me if I said that? Well, you said, preacher, I think you were a little loopy, to be honest with you. You know, I kind of suspected it at the first, but now I'm really sure of it. You know, I, I just think you're a little, little loopy. Why? Because, me and, because, because I didn't help God make this world. What a preposterous, ludicrous, ridiculous idea that I would claim co-creatorship with Almighty God. Brother Dwight's just, maybe he's had too many energy drinks today. You know, may, maybe he's just a little high on all that. Uh, but yet, I've got another question. I'm just wondering, what if we ask? And how does this whole world not just burst apart? I said, well, you're coming with the right question. And again, I have the right answer. You say you do? And I said, yes. Well, what's the answer? Well, we and God, we both can be yes. Now, what do you think that means? Would you laugh just like you're doing right now? And if you're not, you're laughing inside and thinking, boy, this guy's got problems. Yeah, I, how ridiculous is that? To think that Dwight Smith, with the help of God, and God with the help of Dwight Smith, holds the world together and keeps the atoms from bursting apart. Well, it'd be ridiculous, ludicrous, foolish, completely preposterous. What now? I'm not co-creator. I'm not co-sustainer. And are you listening? I'm not co-redeemer. And neither is anybody else. There's no such thing as a co-redemptress. There is not such a thing as, as, as a co-redeemer. It's Jesus Christ that's the redeemer. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. And if it's ludicrous to say, well, God, God and Dwight made the world, and God and Dwight sustained the world, it's ludicrous to say, God and Dwight can save me, or I can help God save me. It's completely ludicrous, and it's not going to happen. God's not going to split share his glory with you concerning the creation of the world and the sustaining of the world and the redeeming of the world or me or anybody else. Do you see? It's Jesus Christ alone. Has there been a point in time when you have believed on Jesus Christ, when you've called upon him and trusted him and believed on him as your Savior? If you haven't, you need to be saved. Because if you have not, you are not at rest now. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. It casts up mire and dirt. And when they die and go to hell, they're not at rest. They're writhing and screaming and falling and burning in torment forever and forever. 
Now watch, he said, he's, he's sleeping. And they said, well, if he sleep, he shall do well. Verse 13, how be it Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest. In sleep then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now, if, if you don't understand exactly all that's going on in this passage, these disciples sure didn't. Verse 15, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Verse 16, then said Thomas, aha, the one we're trying to study tonight, the one we want to uncover uh, some truths about tonight, the one who moved from doubtful to doubtless. This is the guy. It's the first time he's spoken in the Bible that we have recorded. Verse 16, then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Do you suspect Thomas had a little sarcasm about him? Do you suspect Thomas didn't understand what Jesus was talking about and how Jesus was planning things? Do you suspect Thomas, do you suspect that Thomas kind of liked to have a plan? And he liked to know what, what way they were going and how they were going to get there? And he didn't know what Jesus was doing, much less talk about. And when Jesus says, our friend Lazarus sleeps, the, the disciples say, well, that's good if he's sleeping. It may, you know, that'll heal him. Jesus said, he's dead. But let's go unto him. And Thomas says, what? Huh? Well, let's, let us also go that we may die with him. Hmm. Let's turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking now and he says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know. And the way ye know. Look what Thomas says in verse 5. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Do you get the idea that maybe Thomas was a planner? Who are my planners here tonight? I just want to know my audience. Who are my planners? You like, you like to kind of plan things out. Oh, okay, just about seven. Who are, who are here tonight and you're more spontaneous? You kind of like to fly by the seat of your pants. Let me see your hand. Dude. Oh, there's only seven more. The rest of you are just holding out. You think this is a trick question. Why would a good-looking, uh, innocent man like me ask you a trick question? You know, look at, well, you suspect the wrong things. Look here. I think Thomas was a planner. And by the way, if you're a planner... That's not bad. That's good. If you're not a planner, that's not necessarily bad, even though the planners think it is. Uh, I'm the kind of guy that likes to get in the car and go and figure it out on the road. You know, I don't really figure out the route until I'm in the truck and I've started the truck and I'm at the edge of the driveway or the parking lot to where we're going. We had a 14-hour drive. I didn't know exactly how we were going to get out of Indianapolis, but I figured it out as soon as I got to the drive. And we figured it out on the way. Now, some people aren't like that. Two women in the cars telling me what to do. But anyway, uh, you know, here, here you, you've got the GPS and it's telling us what to do and where to go, and you turn her in every direction here, all that sort of thing. Uh, and I don't really, I don't really care for all that. And sometimes it really gets under my skin and puts me in the flesh, having that GPS in the car telling me which way to go. And I know, and if I can figure it out without the GPS, I do, because I don't want eye in the sky and big brother watching me everywhere I go. But anyway, I just I, I, I'm not the player. Now my wife is. Uh, when it comes time for a conversation on a phone, she drives me to make some kind of cookie or something. She says, whoa, 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 what are you going to say? I said, what do you mean, what am I going to say? I'll figure it out when I put it up to my ear. From here to here, I'll know what to say. It'll just come to me naturally. God said, open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. In fact, he said, don't even plan what you're going to say. Just open your mouth and that day you'll, you'll know. Am I, am I wrong on this? I'm not wrong on this. And so my wife's concerned about what I'm going to say and how the conversation's going to go and, on delicate matters because she's a planner. I'm not. Now, now if, again, if you're a planner, that's not bad. If you're not a planner, that's not bad. That's really not the point. But boy, can you imagine how frustrated sometimes these disciples would be? Jesus, where are we going? Why are we going through Samaria? John chapter 4. Why nobody goes through Samaria? We got to go over the River Jordan, up and around just to avoid Samaria and all the trouble. Those people of Samaria, they're a bunch of traitors and they did us dirty. And, and this is bad. We don't want to go through Samaria. But Jesus had a point. And Jesus did 
always revealed his plan to his disciples. And Jesus doesn't always reveal his plan to you. We don't have front seat on God's uh, pre-planning sessions. You see, and that caused frustration to a planner like Thomas. To an analyzer like Thomas. Now, some of us can hardly spell the word analyze, much less think that way. But Thomas was. Oh, I believe Thomas was a real planner. And that's why he was he had a propensity or a weakness to doubt. He says, I mean, this great passage, this great passage. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. The one that we use all the time when we're talking about encouragement. And, and, and he says, he, he says, in, he says, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. And this great classic passage has to be slammed on the end with Thomas's insane doubts. We know not whither thou goest and how can we know the way? Look what Jesus said. Jesus said in verse six, uh, I am the way. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth ye know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. I think Philip was the kind of guy that probably wanted to soften the blow, you know? Uh, you know, uh, Philip, Philip, I think, was the guy that was uh, concerned about money because in, in John chapter uh, 6, he, he, Jesus says, uh, what, what do we have to feed this 5,000? He said, well, so Philip was, he was probably another one that was counting the shekels and trying to figure out, make sure we had it all figured out. And Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you? And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. So I believe this was a gentle rebuke to Philip and to Thomas. You don't know? You haven't been paying attention? You see, Thomas was a doubter. Thomas probably was an analyzer. Thomas was a planner. And he wanted to know far in advance. And rarely does it work that way. I would imagine there's some people here that are, have at, at some point succumbed to doubt. Lord, what are we, what are you doing? Where are we going? Why has this happened? And why now? And why to me? I mean, I thought I was an upstanding Christian. And I thought I was growing and I was doing this, 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 and this. All the things you're supposed to do. And tragedy all of a sudden strikes. Or tragedy slowly creeps on me like the creeping crud. And now I'm just buried under six layers of it. Why does this have to happen to me? And why now? You know, by the way, even those that are not planners can sometimes be tempted to doubt. And struggle with doubt. You go through a jolting circumstance. You go through an accident. You go through difficulty. You go through a time of darkness and questioning in your own life. Sometimes those doubts come. Now I want to ask you, where do doubts come from? Where, where have you experienced in your own life? I've got something down in the middle. But where have you experienced that doubts come from in your own life? It's okay to answer. It's okay to Is it, where, where do doubts come from? Where, where, where are some places that doubts come from? Anyone? misstepped here. I misstepped here. What you start to analyze. Where's another place doubts come from? From your own lack of faith, from your own flesh. Yes. Yes. Sometimes doubts come from difficulty. You go through a difficult time and you say, did I miss the path? Did I get off track? I thought I was following the GPS. I thought we were going the right way. And how did I get off track? How did I get this far? I, I wasn't trying to Where else doubts? Ignorance in the truest sense of the word, not in the derogatory sense. Uh, sometimes they come from a lack of understanding. And uh, where are we? How long can we get there? And why do we have to take this path? And why is it taking so long? Sometimes doubts come from false teachers. And false teachers. False teachers and false teachers can stir up doubts. Sometimes doubts come straight from the devil. They come straight, as a satanic attack, straight from the devil. Uh, years ago, I heard a preacher say, well, not all doubt is, is uh, from the devil. Sometimes God uses doubt. And, and the next day I got in the plane to fly out and, and I said, I'm going to look up every reference to doubt. And I want to say emphatically, God is not the author of doubt. God doesn't use doubt. It's not in his toolbox. Now, God can work in spite of doubt and he can help you overcome doubt. But God's not the source of doubt. God cannot be tempted to people. He's a tempted to 
Sometimes doubt comes from, from just our own analysis. analysis. Sometimes doubts come when people stray. Good people that once stood strong, true and strong and they stray. We say, how could that happen? How could that be? I remember serving God with them. David succumbed to some of those and suffered from some of those maladies in Psalm 55. It was not an enemy, else I could have borne it. It was not uh, him that lifted up his sword against me, but it was a man my equal. We went to the house of God together. Sometimes doubts come at moments like that. Uh, So there's a myriad of places and ways and sources for doubts. But I want you to see tonight what to do when these doubts come. And I I want us to focus on that. I I want us to move to John chapter 20. Can we do that right now? John chapter 20. And I want to give you a few thoughts about doubts when they come. And then I want to focus completely and draw all our points from the text. Uh, First of all, when doubts come, answer every doubt with the certainty of Scripture. Let me say that again. When doubts come, answer every doubt from the certainty of Scripture. This is not a time for your philosophy. We talked about that last night. This is not a time for your ideas. This is not a time for other men's philosophies. By the way, you will never go into false doctrine if you only read the Bible. Now, let me just pause and say, I'm not against reading other books. Obviously, I have a book table with lots of other books. But all of those books are way below the prominence and the importance and the priority of the Bible. You'll never go into false doctrine if you only read the Bible. And if you check everything with the Bible. And you compare Scripture with Scripture. Now, by the way, sometimes people will use a verse... And they'll take it out of context, and it sounds like, well, that comes from the Bible. But it's to be tested by the men measured by the clear interpretation of the Word of God. Everything. You should test everything I say from the Bible. Don't just take it from my word because I'm an evangelist, and I travel around, and I've got a fancy truck and, and a slick hairdo. Don't, don't take that. Don't. You say, I'm going to test everything from the Word of God. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the Bereans searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. And it says that those from Thessalonians, were more noble than those at Berea because they, they searched the scripture. So the Bible is very clear. You search what the Bible says. What does the Bible says? And, and so see, search what the Bible says. Search in Thessalonica. It says that they took these words not as the words of men, but as the word of God. And so search, search the scripture. So when doubts come, answer every doubt from the Bible. Uh, Eve got into trouble because she didn't. She went down the slippery slope of doubt because she didn't. And the first thing the devil wants to do is create doubt and create a climate of doubt. I hope that you sense the climate that is here at Bible Baptist Church. I hope that you sense the atmosphere that is here. What's the atmosphere? One atmosphere is a mood, it's a spirit, it's an attitude, and it's an atmosphere of belief in the Word of God. In other words, when you come into this church, you don't ever, ever expect, or you should never expect, to hear the preacher so doubt concerning the Bible. Never. Uh, it's an atmosphere of faith. It's an atmosphere of believing God. It's an atmosphere of worshiping God. It's an atmosphere of unified worship. It's an atmosphere that says the Bible is true. It's an atmosphere that when you pray, says God can. You see, all that's part of an atmosphere. And, and anybody here that's ever grown things in a greenhouse knows that that plant needs a certain atmosphere if it's going to grow. Well, the devil, he knows there has to be a certain atmosphere if doubts are going to grow. And he speaks of this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, he, he says uh, I would that be not too shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as to us as if the day of Christ is at hand. There were those spreading false doctrine and they were doing it under the guise of Paul the apostle as if they were him and, and they, were, they were so in doubt. You're going to suffer. And, and, and they were creating an atmosphere and a mood and an attitude of doubt. Uh, by the way, if Eve had said, well, wait, hold on, let me look back and see, wait. Adam, what did it say? What did God say to us in Genesis 2.16? What did God say to us in Genesis 2.16? And if she would have answered Satan with that, there would have been no problem. We'd have a different world. But she didn't. When Satan asked a question, she answered it from her own understanding. Yea, hath God said he questioned God's word. You know what she did? She added to and took away from God's word. She said, oh, yes, no, we, we're not to eat. In fact, we can't even touch. She added to. Less. She took away. Less is a less important thing. You will make. Maybe you will make. You know what she did? She engaged the devil with the conversation. Don't engage the devil with the conversation. 
word of God. That's why it's so important that the preaching of the word of God take paramount in, in, take paramount uh, importance and it be of paramount importance in a church. That's why we don't have 45 minutes and 50 minutes of a rock concert and then 10 minutes of a sermonette. That's why we don't do that. Because the word of God is paramount. That's why in a Bible preaching church, the pulpit is exalted and front and center because it's paramount. It's of utmost importance. The word of God must be preached. It doesn't matter what the question is. The answer is always the same. More Bible, more Bible. That's why family devotions are encouraged around here. And every family ought to gather around the word of God. A verse a day, a couple verses a day, a chapter a day, whatever it may be, and consider and weigh and think about the word of God. Talk about the word of God. That's why Bible memory is encouraged here. And if it's not out there tomorrow night on the back table, there'll be a Bible memory sheet that anybody and everybody can take for free that will change your life. Why? Because the word of God needs to be the answer we give when the devil comes with his doubts. Not philosophy, not reason, not your own understanding, not Dr. Phil, not Oprah. No, no, the word of God. The Bible says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Jeremiah 23, 25. God's word will break the hardest hearts. God's word will burn through all of the chaff of men. God's word is the answer. Answer every doubt with the certainty of the word of God. Thomas didn't do that. That's why he got in a mess. Number two, when your doubts come, choose to view your doubts through the lens of God's love and God's truth. Not the other way around. Choose to view your doubts through the lens of God's love and God's truth. Now, this is practical help that will help you. You call it whatever you want. I call this monkey wrench preaching. You might not need it right now, but you'll need it maybe a few months from now. Uh, you might not need it today, but you'll need it someday. And so choose to view your doubts through the lens of God's love and God's truth, not the other way around. Now, let me illustrate it this way. There are some people that I know and that I've met on the short time of life of 48 years who have gone through difficulties. Maybe they've been through divorce. Maybe they've been through uh, a debilitating disease. Maybe they're not able to move around like they used to. Maybe they've been through serious injury. Maybe they've been through loss. Maybe others around them have, have betrayed them and knifed them in the back and mistreated them in terrible ways. And this is the way they view their trouble. This is their trouble. I've got a lot of trouble for my cell phone. Huh. And this is God's love and God's truth out here. And they say, oh yeah, I know God loves me. But boy, do I have some trouble. Let me tell you about my trouble. And boy, they begin to go into great detail about their trouble. And they just can't seem to get past their trouble and over their trouble. Oh yeah, yeah, I know God loves me. But boy, I got some trouble. And it's really earth shattering. And it's hard. And it's difficult. And if only you knew. And you say, well, that's nothing like what I'm going through right now. Nobody ever knows. Nobody knows the trouble I see. And they live their whole life like this and always come. And after a while, you've got a minister to try to live. They have some perspective. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy, I got some trouble. And they're a misery to their spouse and a misery to their kids and a misery to their parents and a misery to everybody else around them. After a while, when you come, you see them, you say, oh, whatever you do, don't ask them how they're doing. Oh, we're going to be here for the next 45 minutes. It'll be woe and blue. Gloom and, and doom and trouble all around. Why? Because they've never learned how to look at their doubts through the lens of God's love. Now, how many of you have ever met someone? I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever met someone who has been through a debilitating trouble? Maybe emotional, maybe family, maybe difficult circumstance, maybe trying physical ailment. And boy, you, you, you need them. This may be an opportunity instead of an obstacle for me to shine for Jesus. This may be the very thing. My trouble may be the very source and maybe the very thing that's going to bring about the greatest answers to prayer in my life. Oh, I know God loves me. Wow. I've got a, a second cousin like that. 
She lives down in Sioux Falls. And about, about 2013, I was in West Virginia holding meetings. And I got a text from my brother at like 1.30 in the morning. Last thing I remember was, was my little Andrew was just a, a baby. And he was whimpering himself to sleep on his, uh, putting his head on my shoulder. And my wife shook me and she said, you got a text from your brother. You better call him. So I got up and Dave called me late at night and it was so far back in the hills of West Virginia. You, is a, you pipe, the, pipe the moon shine in and the sun shine out or whatever. The moon shine out and the sun shine in. Something like that. And, uh, and, and it was way back. I had to drive 30 minutes before I could get any reception on my Nobody here ever has to go to a four, four, four casket funeral. Caleb was 16 or, or 14. Alyssa was, was 17, something like that. They were coming back from Caleb's basketball game. Jim was a, a counselor for elderly people. And, and he, uh, he, he was he was salt. down further into Iowa. She came back and she's teaching right now in Sioux Falls. And you, when, you, you were, when you're around Brittany, you know that there's hurt. You know there's an ache. You know she wishes that her family were here. But she doesn't, she doesn't focus on that. Somehow she's learned how to look at her troubles through the lens of God's love and God's truth. Now, now we can do that. Listen to me, if troubles come and doubts come, number one, answer every doubt with the certainty of scripture. Number two, choose to view your doubts through the lens of God's love and truth, not the other way around. Number three, don't forget what you know. Let me say that again. Don't forget what you know. What God showed you in the light, don't forget it in the night. What God showed you in the mountaintop, don't forget it in the valley. Don't forget what you know. You know that God loves you. You should never doubt that. You know, you know that God is in control. You should never doubt that. Even though it seems like the world is spinning off wildly out of control. You, you, by the way, the devil wants to give you the illusion, friend, that, that there's no hope, that it's completely out of control, that God's not in control. The devil wants you to think that. The devil wants to give you the illusion that God doesn't love you. Why? Because if I were the devil, the one thing I'd do is tell as many lies about God as I could. He doesn't care which one you believe, as long as you believe something other than God. Don't forget that God is in control. Don't forget that God is good. God's not bad. He's never been bad. He's always been on the side of right, and He's always been on the side of good, and He's always been on the side of just. Don't forget that. It sometimes seems like this world is filled with injustice. Sometimes it seems like this world is, in this world, God is not good. 
He's a preacher. You have doubts. Some, some of you look at a preacher and say, oh, he must never doubt anything. Oh, really? I mean, what a foolish notion. What a foolish notion to think that a preacher, his family, or his wife, would never go through doubts, battles, and difficulties, and hardships. But somehow, you've got to learn to, to figure your way through that doubt and honor God. He's a preacher. You doubt. Yes. About what? Buckle your seat. I'll always have doubts and wonder why my sister who was 44 died when she was 44. Four years younger than I am now. 11 children, nine still at home. I don't understand that. I still don't understand that. And neither do her daughters and her sons who are raising families of their own right now as they're holding newborn babies in their arms just wishing they could have one more conversation with their mama. I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand why, why a preacher who is preaching the word faithfully week in and week out and loving his people would have would claw and scrape and vie and fight and bribe and do everything he could just to have a handful of people in his congregation and a false teacher who's not preaching the word of God can fill up stadiums. I don't understand that. I mean, if you know the answer, please tell me after the service because I would like to know. I don't understand why a, a girl and a guy or a girl who's promiscuous and lives her life in a promiscuous manner and has four babies from three different men, uh, how that happens in a, a couple that keeps themselves chaste and pure and holy come to the wedding altar and try as they might they can't have children. I don't understand that. If you know the answer, please enlighten me after the service. There are a lot of things I have doubts about, but my perspective is very limited. I don't have an omniscient view of things, and neither do you. I don't know everything, and neither do you. And anybody thinks that they can impugn God's character because they've been through some trouble and they don't know the answers to all of their questions is ridiculous because they don't know everything either. And the fact of the matter is, is that God does know everything. The last chapter hasn't been written, and God is good, and there are centuries and millennia of witnesses to the fact that God is in control, and He loves me, and He's good in spite of contrary evidence. So don't forget what you know. Now let's look at our text and draw the remaining, remaining points from our text. In this passage of Scripture, the disciples are hiding behind locked doors. Let's see what the Bible says. In John chapter 20, here in this passage, Jesus has been crucified. And now they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's going to take place. Verse number 19, then, that's, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, peace be unto you. Now I'm so thankful for the message of Jesus. You're struggling, you're doubting tonight. Jesus is coming to you right now personally and he's saying, peace be unto you. Jesus wants you to have peace. He doesn't want you to roll back and forth and toss and turn at night, fill with anxiety. He doesn't want that. Young person, listen to me. I don't know what the devil's whispering in your head, but the, the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want you to have trouble and turmoil in your heart. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have a peace that passes all understanding. He's the Prince of Peace. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. He said, he said, for we have peace with God, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace begins at salvation, but then it continues on. He talks about the peace that passeth all understanding. Then he says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you're called and be ye thankful. So there's peace with God, that's salvation, and the peace of God, that's continual sanctification. And can you just hear the Lord right now say to you, what he said to these disciples. He didn't scold them for hiding behind locked doors. He knew they were anxious and worried and fearful. Look at our text, verse 20. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad. By the way, a good look at Jesus always makes you glad. Uh, Jesus' presence always makes you glad. Uh, Jesus' word always makes you glad. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them, again, peace be unto you. 
You see, he repeats it again. Hey, ma'am, God wants you to have peace. Not He doesn't want you to be filled with anxiousness and worry. God wants you to have peace. He loves you. He said, as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. And he's got a mission for you to accomplish. And, and the peace comes in the presence of the Lord, but it comes in the doing of his mission for your life. Verse 22, and when he had said thus, this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus. By the way, do you know what Didymus means? It means twin. So does Thomas. It's likely Thomas had a twin. Uh, but Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Wonder where he was. Maybe he was, maybe he was trying to find his twin. You know, twins have an affinity with each other. A closeness like no other relation. They think alike. They act alike. They speak alike. My grandma was a twin. And to get them together was just absolutely hilarious. To watch them respond. My grandma's name was Helen and her twin's name was Ida. And they would act alike, talk alike. And, and it was a good thing that Ida didn't have all her teeth. Otherwise, we wouldn't know if she was my grandma or not. And so we could tell this. I was right. I want to tell you, maybe he was looking for a twin. Maybe the twin wasn't anywhere near. Maybe he was wishing it was Maybe if his twin had died, he just wished he could. Would you make sense to the, me out of all this? Would you tell me what's going on? I followed this guy for three and a half years of my life, and instead of him leading a revolution against the Romans, the Romans kill him, crucify him, nail him to a cross. I don't know what's going on. I thought we were going to follow him. I thought he was going to bring us a kingdom. I don't understand what's going on. He wasn't there. We don't know where Thomas was. Maybe he was just down at the country store. Maybe he was looking into a business proposition and going back to his own business like Peter did when he went a-fishing. I go a-fishing. We don't know where Thomas was, but we know where he wasn't. He wasn't with the disciples. That's why gathering with God's people is so important. That's why it's so ludicrous for uh, our government, particularly, not to mention any government, not to mention any government, expecting us not to gather, not to gather. Can you imagine such a ludicrous idea? Uh, by the way, when all that happened in 2020, uh, somebody came to me and said, "Are we really going to jail?" And I said, "Yes, yes, I, I am." And, and what a ridiculous notion that in America they would try to just completely discount the First Amendment. What a completely ridiculous notion. And he said, well, you know, what's the idea of church? Is it, it's just all, you know, what, what does church mean anyway? I said, well, that's a really good question. Have you looked up what they mean, church uh, He said, no, I haven't. I said, you do that study and then come back. And then I went back and I said, you know, it's been a while since I've studied. So I looked up every reference to the word church. And church, the church in the New Testament met to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, to glean from his word, to give to world missions and to the poor and to those in need. The church met, the church met, to, they, they met to, 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 to glean from the word of God and to give out all kinds of good things from the Lord's blessing on their life. And invariably, when you said the church, either mentioned or directly implied it was to gather. If you said to the New Testament church, oh, you don't have to gather, but you're still to be the church, they'd look at you and laugh you out of the building. What a ridiculous notion. And so he wasn't there. He didn't gather. I don't know, maybe he was at his kid's soccer game. I don't know where he was, but he wasn't there. I don't know where he was. Maybe he was at home uh, watching his football game. Uh, maybe he didn't push DVR like he could have. I don't know where he was, but I know where he wasn't. And he wasn't there. When, when doubts come, listen to me. Number four, quickly, I'm going to give you these last few points. Don't disappear. Now, you'll be tempted to. I've been tempted to when doubts have come in my life to just disappear, vanish. I'm going to get in my car and go to California. I'm going to disappear. I've got places I can go, and I'm just going to vanish. Nobody needs me anyway. Nobody cares about me anyway. You get to that point. Doubts will bring you to that point. Number, number four, don't disappear. Uh, number five, when doubts come, look at verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, we have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. I will not believe. When doubts come, be careful what you say. Be careful what you say. Do you know what he didn't know when he made this declaration? That Jesus let them do that. That he'd have been where he is supposed to have been. He would have already had that privilege. 
He would have already been down that road a whole lot further than he was. Unless I put my hand and fingers into his prince, into his hands, and my hand into his side, I will not believe. Can you imagine when Thomas was having his daily devotions from here on out that he probably shuddered a little bit when he came to this passage? Why did John put that in? Oh, no, it's inspired. Why did God put that in? Why did I say that? What a dumb thing to say. Imagine he had a little eensy, teensy, weensy bit of regret when he came to this passage from here on out. Do you imagine what it would be like when he was preaching expositorily through John and he comes to John chapter 20 now he's got to preach this text? What a terrible moment. What an awful thing. But you know, I'm glad that God wrote the Bible because this proves God wrote the Bible. God doesn't tell us varnished truth. He tells us the unvarnished truth. The Bible is a book that men would not have written if they could have and could not have written if they would have. And I'm glad it's there. And Thomas probably looked at his disciples years later and said, yeah, that was me. This isn't, this isn't man's book. This is God's book. And that God inspired John to put that there. Be careful what you say. I would imagine that, 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 that Job's wife regretted what she said. Curse God and die. I would imagine that, wouldn't you? I would imagine Jonah regretted what he said. I wish God would just kill all the people of Nineveh. I would imagine that there are some other people that regretted what they said in the Bible. But here, this is what John said. Be careful what you say, verse number 26. And after eight days again. Can you imagine the wet blanket that must have been on the disciples? We see Thomas, Thomas We saw Jesus. Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. You're not taking me down that road again. I know Jesus was telling us that Lazarus was dead and he was actually sleeping, but he was actually dead and we're going to go into, I know. And then he tells us we know the way. and We, we didn't know the way we were supposed to go in John chapter 14. And now you're going to tell me, yeah, you see him. Uh-uh, mm-mm, don't get my hopes up again. Can you imagine the wet blanket that was? Imagine how the disciples must have prayed for Thomas. Lord, help him. Lord, he's struggling. We were struggling. We were hiding behind locked doors. But Lord, we saw you. We touched you. We, 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 we know you. Verse number 26, after eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. <laughs> hey, hey, when doubts come, Remember, Jesus Christ is the God of the second chance. When doubts come, remember, Jesus Christ is the God of the second chance. How many of you are glad God's a God of the second chance? And the third, and the fourth, and the fifteenth chance. I'm sure glad He's a God of the second chance. Jesus came again! Jesus came again after eight days! Jesus wasn't giving up on Thomas. Jesus knew that Thomas wasn't with him, by the way, that first time when He showed up. Jesus knew Thomas was with them that second time. Jesus knew where Thomas was and Jesus knows where you are. He knows if you're struggling with doubt right now. He knows if you're in a valley and you can't see and you're not sure if you can move another step. He knows if you don't feel like getting out of bed. He knows! And he's a God of the second chance. Watch verse number, uh, look at what our text says, John chapter 20 and verse number 27. He says in verse 26, peace be unto you. The first thing he said when he showed up the second time was not Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. First thing he said was peace be unto you. Wow, what a savior. Verse 27, then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger, behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord, and my God. That's a good verse to show to the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons. Watch here now. He, when, Jesus, when doubts come, don't doubt forever. Move quickly from doubt to faith certainty. Let me say it again. When doubts come, don't doubt forever. Move quickly from doubt to faith certainty. You're going to go through some doubtful times. You're going to go through some difficult days. Don't doubt forever. Move quickly from when Jesus is there and Jesus has come and Jesus allows you to see the evidence and Jesus speaks his word to you and Jesus speaks peace to you. Move quickly from doubt to faith certainty. Mm. Watch this. This is so good. He fell at his feet in John chapter 20 and he said, my Lord and my God. Wow. What a powerful passage. Uh, Jesus saith unto him, verse number 29, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. 
Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? That's us. Right here. We haven't seen him. I wonder how tall Jesus was. Don't you? He must have been. Oh. I, I, wonder if he was, I wonder if he was a baser. Had to be a tenor. Had to be a tenor. I, I wonder what the timbre of his voice is. I wonder what his features exactly are. I'm not talking about Michelangelo's description of him. I'm talking about his actual features. I, I wonder, I wonder of some things about Jesus. What the Bible says, whom having not seen we love, in whom though now we see him not, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We haven't seen the Lord Jesus, but someday we will. And the Bible says there's a special blessing. We haven't seen him, but we still believe. And we follow him. And we've abandoned everything. Hey, I want to know when doubts come, know that when you fall at Jesus feet and worship him, he will use you again. Let me say that again. When you fall at Jesus feet and worship him, he will use you again. Wow. What a truth. Do you know what they tell us about Thomas? That he traveled from this part of the world, Israel, No train. And he went there. You don't do something like that unless you move in doubt and doubt. You know what they tell us about him? He was smart. And he wouldn't let them prove You don't do that unless you move from doubtful to doubtless. When you fall at Jesus' feet and worship him, he'll use you again. Hey, I want you to know that there is a time when you may go through doubts and difficulties, but Jesus is there and he's going to help you. I don't know if you're struggling through doubt tonight or through difficulty tonight. I don't know if it's you that this message was designed for. I'm not sure if it's you that are going through a valley of despondency and despair tonight. But I want you to know that if it's you, Jesus says, peace be unto you. And Jesus has come to you tonight through his word. And Jesus has come with his presence. And Jesus has a plan for you and a mission for you to fulfill and accomplish. I want you to know that you can move from doubtful to doubtless. Some time ago, I wrote something for one of my sons who was struggling at the time. I love you more, his words rang out so fair, from little lips and sparkling eyes and locks of white blonde hair. I love you more, came my reply so deep, from daddy's love a cavern wide and growing heap by heap. I love you more, from here up to the moon, his smile flashed with soul-felt song of heart notes all in tune. I love you more, from here to Mars and back, I said to him, my precious son, to help him stay on track. I love you, Dad, he said to me again. His voice had changed in teenage years, had come to wield their reign. I love you too, and always will, don't fear. My love for you grows by the day. I stand your heart to cheer. I love you, Dad. Do you still love me when? Temptation swirls around my soul and sweeps me out in sin. I love you more. Beyond what words can say. I've been there too in deadly drift and almost swept away. But I'm not sure of anything right now. My heart hurts deep. My mind's unsure. And you still love somehow? I love you more. I love you more. You see, a while ago, my heart hurt too with mind confused. I sought the truth to know. I saw Christ's wounds and sought the answer true. Do you love me though? I have caused these scars of shame in you. His look and words brought calm within my heart. I love you more than this world's hate can muster or impart. Before I set the planets in their place, before the streams spilled down the mount and filled the ocean space, before men sinned and ate the fruit forbidden, before in shame he snatched fig leaves and four, I found him hidden. I set my love in motion towards man's soul and set redemption's plan in place and wrote it on a scroll. That love is true and sure, you need not doubt. On hate's cruel cross, I bled for you to cast sin's power out. I love you, child, and always will, don't fear. 
its constant and unchanging sort can brush away each tear. And so, my son, my love you can't ignore. Because of God's true changeless love, I'll love you all the more. With tears fresh glow, he nodded to agree. I think I understand just now. Your love for me, I see. It mirrors Christ's eternal love in four. This truth, I'm thankful and so glad that dad, you love me more. I want you to know tonight that God's love is being reached down to you and coming to you right now without hesitation and with absolute unabated passion. He loves you and wants to rescue you in and through and in the midst of all of your doubts. Would you bow with me in prayer? Your heads are bowed.